about seeing people just uh, giving their lives to the Lord and then following him in obedience there's nothing like it so I'm sorry that it's taken us what a month to put that together a little delayed but um, it was worth it that was the day that we had um, we had the ministry here right teen challenge they were here that day and you saw some of them were baptized and what was so cool that day was there were people that weren't expecting to be baptized they were spontaneously responding to the Holy Spirit and that is awesome to see so exciting. So last week we talked about our need to trust the authority of Jesus. Because there is no higher authority in all the universe. All who heard Jesus teach were fully amazed. He blew their minds because he taught with real authority. Exousia. That's the Greek word for authority. Exousia. And it meant that his teaching was full of power, full of dominion, strength, force, and intensity. So one of the questions I asked last week was, do we receive the word of God with the full authority that God intends for it to have in our lives? 
Do we receive it like that? Because with real authority comes real obedience. Real authority comes real obedience. We cannot claim the authority of the word of God if we're not obeying what we hear. This was the life that Jesus lived from his birth all the way to his death. He was fully submitted to the authority of his father in heaven. Not only could you hear his authority in his words, but you could also see it in his actions because both his words and his actions demonstrated this authority. And for you and I to follow him, we are going to have to trust his authority. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to hear the will of the Lord, which comes from the word of God, and then we need to obey what we hear. That is what teaching with authority sounds like. Now, I mentioned last week three practical ways that we could live out how to trust his authority. Number one, we must trust the authority of God's word. Satan loves to undermine God's authority by encouraging us to question what God's word actually says or to dismiss it altogether. We've got to trust the authority of the word of God. Number two, we must embrace repentance. The Holy Spirit will convict our hearts and help us to see what's wrong in our lives. And we need to lean into this by changing our mind about our sin, confess it to him, and then turn to him. Turn away from that sin and turn to the Lord. This should be a daily discipline for Christ followers. Embrace repentance. And number three, we must go all in. Jesus is not an option that we just add to our life like a spiritual buffet. He doesn't just become a part of our lives. No, to go all in means he becomes our lives. It's time to submit every single area of our life to him. No secrets, no carve-outs, no holding back. All in. All in. Half-hearted following or casual Christianity is not an option. He didn't die for us so we could live our lives on our terms. He died for us so we would live our lives sold out for him on his terms. Jesus said to the demon in our text from last week, he said, hold thy peace and come out of him. Because that's what the authority of Jesus does. It silences and it expels all evil. This is going to be really fun if my clicker's not working today. You guys are just going to have to bear with me as I turn around and hit click. (laughs) When you and I as Christ followers are confronted with the authority and holiness of the word of God, it should have the same effect on us because our holiness is not optional. It's not optional. That's exactly why I asked this question just before communion last week. I said, what needs to come out of our lives that is not honoring God? What needs to come out of our lives that is not honoring God? Yeah, this is fun. Let's just reboot it and we'll try it again. That was the question that I asked. So if you missed last week, if you missed it, or perhaps that question didn't resonate with you, then may the authority of the Holy Spirit show you today what's in your heart and what's in your life that is not honoring Him. Now, I'm going to ask everyone to please stand. If you all could come to your feet for just a moment. Some of you are like, oh man, what's going on? Why is He making me go to my feet? What's He going to do now? So, let's hope we got it back. Now, I'd like for all of us to continue 
or I'd like for all of us to consider, rather, praying this very dangerous prayer that I have on the screen. I'm going to read it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I just want you to consider praying that prayer. So we're going to take a few moments together right now before we begin the message just to prepare our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to move and see what He's going to do today. And some of you may be up for this challenge. Some of you might be up for praying this prayer right now. So just let's spend a few moments in silence together. I want to encourage you to pray to your Father in heaven, whatever the Holy Spirit is putting upon your heart. If you want to sit, if you want to stand, if you want to kneel, or if you want to come up here, it doesn't matter. Okay? So let's just pray to him and see where he leads. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Your word has everything we need. May we trust it to be how we're to live our lives. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way. That you'd move in the hearts and minds of every single one of us that's in here. You know what's going on in our lives. You know what's going through our minds right now. And I just pray that we would have the peace that passes all understanding that we'd feel your love and your presence and where conviction is needed, where repentance is needed. Holy Spirit, that you'd show us that. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Prepare our hearts today to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. That wasn't hard, was it? So I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 29 through 38. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles here on the shelf to my right, your left. You're welcome to borrow. Or you can follow along on the screen or your mobile device. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So let's begin to walk through this text together. We're going to start in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. So who are we talking about here? It's Jesus and the first four disciples that he'd called to follow him. So Simon, also known as Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all five of them went into Simon and Andrew's house right after leaving the synagogue. 
Now, we talked last week about what the synagogue is. It was the place where the Jews gathered to hear the scriptures read and to worship the Lord. So the synagogue in Jesus' day is very similar to the local church today, where we come to hear the word of the Lord and to worship him. So one thing that stands out to me in this text is that Peter and Andrew took James and John, along with Jesus, the king of glory, into their home. That's a lesson for you and I today. Do we take Jesus into our homes or do we leave him at church? Mm, Man, that's a good question, isn't it? Because if we take him into our homes, then there should be an impact within our homes. If you're taking notes, you can put that in your blank, impact. First, we will experience the blessings of our glorious Savior. These blessings can be any number of things. It can be provision, protection, conviction, truth, peace, comfort, grace, mercy, joy, hope, love, wisdom, understanding, faith. God's blessings are too numerous for me to list. But trust me, you want God's blessings in your life. You want those things. So make sure you take him home with you. Second, the Lord, if he's in your home, then you will live differently. You're going to live differently. There will be things that you will not allow in your home because the things of God have nothing to do with the things of the world. No more than light has anything to do with darkness, which means if God is in your home, there is no room for evil. There is no room for ungodliness. There is no room for unrighteousness. Not in what we watch, not in what we read, not in what we listen to, and not even within what we do or even with what we think. Now, this isn't hard to figure out. Just ask yourself this simple question. Would God approve of what I'm doing? Would he approve of what I'm allowing into my mind and ultimately what comes into my heart? Just asking these simple questions will regulate what we watch, what we listen to, what we read, what we think, or even what we do. Because if we allow him into our homes, it will change how we live. If he is in our homes, then we will live to glorify him. We won't be fighting each other. We won't be holding on to unforgiveness. We won't be indulging in things that harm us or others, whether physically, spiritually, or both. And we won't be wasting our times on things that have no redeeming value. We will not be grieving the heart of God by what we choose to do, to to say, or to even think. Because taking Jesus home with us will only lead us to becoming more like him. So don't leave Jesus at church. Take him home with you and then be amazed at what will happen in your life. Now let's move on in the next couple of verses here in our text. If we go to Mark chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. Man, this is going to be really fun. (laughs) Lord God, I pray right now for your blessing over this technology. It seems like we're battling this all the time. But Lord God, I pray that nothing will get in the way of your word today. We prayed this morning that we would be unencumbered by anything. So we cast it out in Jesus' mighty name, by the authority of your name, right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 1. Verses 30 through 31. If you've got your Bible, we'll go there. Whether I have it on the screen or not, I'm going to keep going. Okay? Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. 
she began to serve them. Now, in last week's text, we saw an exorcism happen because of the authority of what Jesus spoke. This week, we see a healing happen because of that same authority of Jesus. But only this time, it was because of his touch, right? His touch. One touch from the Savior, and everything changes. Everything. Now, when you and I read the parallel accounts in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke of what happened here and what we just read in Mark, you'll find that Peter's mother-in-law was very sick with a high fever. Now, some of you have experienced a high fever, or you've had a child who's had a high fever, so you know how serious this can be. It can be life-threatening. But listen, no sickness, no disease, no ailment of any kind is of any consequence to the Son of God. He touches her, and the fever immediately leaves her. She is instantaneously healed. That is the power of God. Right there. Because God is always able. He's always able. Always. Whether he speaks or whether he touches, his power is limitless. And its effect is perfect. It's perfect. This reminds me of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, I'm going to share this verse with you, but I'm going to do it by combining several different Bible translations together. You could call this a Bible mashup. All right? Now, I'm not taking anything out, so don't think I'm doing that. I'm simply putting a whole bunch of translations together to emphasize my point. All right? So here we go. Watch this. This is so good. i got to get ready for this. All glory to God, who is able to do immeasurably more, exceedingly abundantly above, infinitely more, above and beyond all that we ask or think or even imagine according to the power of that works in us. This is one of those texts that should just blow your mind right here. He can do anything according to the power that works in us. This ought to be an encouragement to your soul. There is nothing God cannot handle in your life. And He can more than blow your expectations right out of the water. He's just that awesome. Amen. But here's the real question. Do we actually believe this? Do we actually believe this? Does our faith align to the truth and power of His Word? Listen, don't ever underestimate the power of God. It is limitless. He is able. And so one touch from Jesus and this high fever left Peter's mother-in-law. It's gone. Now, I want us all to see, how does she respond? How does she respond? Because this is so good. Watch this. Look at the very end of verse 31. She immediately began to do what? To serve them. Now, if you've ever had a high fever, you know how weak you are when you begin to try to recover, right? Usually takes some time to recover and to regain your strength, but not so here. Peter's mother-in-law is fully recovered, and she immediately begins to serve them. You see, serving the Savior is one of the best ways that we can express our thanks to Him for all He has done. So how are you serving him in your life today? Because we are never more like Jesus until we serve like Jesus. One of the most humble and powerful things that Jesus taught his disciples was this principle of serving others. Now, on the night before his crucifixion, he and his disciples were up in the upper room. They were sharing their final supper together. Jesus took part of his clothing, and then he used it to begin washing the feet of every one of his disciples. 
Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. I want you to see this. The King of glory, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, our blessed Savior on His knees, washing dirty feet. Can you imagine this? Now, why in the world would He do such a thing? To teach us that we should be doing the very same thing to each other. And the humility that he showed that night was just a preview of the ultimate act of humility and service when he would show us just how much he loves us by dying on the cross for our sins. Why? Why did he do that? Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to be like Christ. We are called to follow him. So how are we serving? Who are we serving? How are we serving our family? How are we serving our friends? How are we serving our coworkers? How are we serving those who are lost? How are we serving our church? Man, these are tough questions. What is our attitude when it comes to serving? To be served or to serve? Obligation or sacrifice? Impatience or kindness? Conditional or unconditional? We don't have to look that far on how to serve or even who to serve. Jesus was the ultimate servant. He served all the way to the cross. It didn't matter who or when or what or even how. Jesus served everyone. And he did it willingly, humbly, and sacrificially. How about you? Can you serve like that? Because serving should be our natural response to his saving. It should be automatic, just like Peter's mother-in-law. One touch from the Savior, and boom, she's up immediately, and she's serving. Now, as we move on in our text, we'll see that Jesus becomes very busy serving everyone who came to him. You see this beginning in verse 32. When evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, the sun setting is a very important detail because the Sabbath in those days started on sunset on Friday and it lasted all the way till sunset on Saturday. So in this text, it's now Saturday. The sun has just gone down, which is why you could see all this activity taking place. Jewish law prevented anyone from doing any kind of work on the Sabbath, including healing and including traveling. So that's why when the sun went down, all the sick and demon-possessed flocked to Jesus. While there is plenty to expound on here in these verses, it's actually the very next verse that I want us all to see. Verse 35. Because these verses here are just the setup, just the backdrop to verse 35. Watch this. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So we know from the previous verses that Jesus was up way into the night doing ministry. Sun went down, and then all these people started coming. Jesus is working, and he's serving way into the night. We know that from the previous verses. He was serving because that's what servants do. They serve. So he healed all those who were sick, and he drove out the demons and all those who were possessed. I can only imagine how exhausting that night must have been. Now, Mark uses hyperbole in verse 33 when he said, the whole town was assembled at the door, right? He did that on purpose to emphasize his point of just how many people were coming to Jesus. 
And yet there in verse 35, we see that Jesus gets up long before daylight and he leaves everything behind to get away all by himself so he could be with his father and pray. This is a very important lesson for all of us. No matter how busy our lives are, we must stop and make time to pray. We've got to stop and pray. Many of us are so good at allowing our lives to be filled up with so much stuff that we get all stressed out at trying to just keep up. Sometimes this stuff is legitimate. It's real work that must must be done. Other times this work isn't necessary. It's non-essential, but we think we need to do it anyway. Either way, whether all the busyness in our lives is legitimate or not, we must make time to stop and pray. Prayer is essential for our lives, and it should be a top priority in our lives. Obviously, it was for Jesus. You see him many times in the scriptures getting away by himself, making time to spend in prayer with his father. This is yet another powerful example for all of us. Prayer shouldn't be seen as something we have to do. It should be seen as something we need to do. Why was Jesus so effective in all he said and did? Because he was disciplined in his prayer life. That's why. Prayer is not just a way of life. It is the way of life for a Christ follower. If you want to live an abundant life, then pray more. If you want to uh, overcome the obstacles in your life, then pray more. If you need healing, pray. If you need forgiveness, pray. If you need encouragement, pray. If you need joy, pray. If you need hope, pray. If you need love, pray. If you need rest, pray. If you need a breakthrough, pray and keep on praying. Whatever you need, pray. Does that make sense? Whatever you need, pray. His word tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we are to pray without ceasing, meaning we never quit. We keep going to our Father in heaven in prayer. Never, ever give up. You want to be heard? You want him to hear your prayers? Then follow the example of Jesus. I want to encourage you to study Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, which says this right here. He, meaning Jesus, had offered up prayers and supplications, watch this, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So why did God hear his son's prayers? Because of his godly fear. It wasn't because of how fancy his prayers were. It wasn't because of how loud his prayers were. It wasn't because of how long his prayers were. It wasn't because of how many times he prayed, where he prayed, or even how he prayed. It was because of his holy and godly fear. Do you have the fear of the Lord? Do you have a respect, a reverence, a devotion to him that causes you to love and obey him and turn away from evil? That's the question. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And that's how our prayers are heard. Prayer is a discipline that is absolutely essential. Jesus understood this, and no matter how crazy or busy things became, Jesus always made time to stop and pray. And so should we. And so should we. Now, while Jesus was off by himself making time to pray to his Father in heaven, Simon and the other disciples who were with him were frantically trying to find Jesus. 
Let's pick up and cover the last, first, last few verses in our text today, beginning in verse 36. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Now remember, the night prior was a very crazy night of ministry. All these flocks of people came to Jesus. They came for healing, for sickness, disease, for demon possession. And they were looking for Jesus. Why? So they could have their ailments healed. That's why they were looking for him. And so you can imagine all of the hype and all of the talk going on in the town. And I'm sure that once Simon and the other disciples realized that Jesus was nowhere to be found, they probably started freaking out. Where's Jesus? That's why when they finally found Jesus, they said, Hey, everybody's looking for you. Look, I can imagine. I can imagine Simon coming up to Jesus and being like, Dude, where have you been? (laughs) Where have you been? We've all been trying to find you. What's going on? Everyone wants to know where you are. Come on. Look at all the good work that you've done. Look at all the people that have been healed. It's time to go celebrate. Let's go, man. Come on. But notice what Jesus says. He cuts right through all of the hype, doesn't he? He has no interest in stopping his mission and going back into the town where he just performed all those miracles. What did he say? He said this. He said, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. This is yet another lesson for all of us. We must stay on mission. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how crazy things become, we need to stay on mission. We can't get sidetracked by anything. And listen, this is exactly one of Satan's favorite tactics right here, to get us distracted from our mission. We can't get sidetracked by anything. Oh, he's so good at getting our attention and our focus away from where it should be. We can all become so self-absorbed with our worries, our fears, our circumstances, or even the successes that we experience in our lives. Satan loves to get our attention off the mission that God has given us for our lives. And he'll use anything and everything to do it. Sometimes it's obvious. But more often than not, it's very subtle. And he'll use things that appear to be good on the surface. But once you get deep down into it, you find out that it's just another distraction from our mission. Jesus never let that happen in his life. He was always focused on accomplishing all that his father gave him to do. He always stayed on mission. So what was his mission? Now, before we can understand his mission, we have to understand his purpose. Because purpose answers the why and mission answers the how. His purpose is the reason that he would leave heaven and come to this earth as a human being. That is the question that we ask. Why did Jesus come to this earth? That answers his purpose. Now, we see it right here in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Here it is. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Here comes the purpose but to save the world through him. So there it is. There is Jesus' reason for coming to this earth, to save the world through himself. Jesus' purpose for coming to this world was simply to be its savior. So how did he do this? How did he do this? Answering that will tell us what his mission was. His mission was to die on the cross for our sins. It was the only way to save us. So God sent his son on the greatest rescue mission of all time. 
that would ultimately lead to his son being the greatest sacrifice of all time. And Jesus humbly and willingly, sacrificially laid down his life to accomplish that mission. So we saw in our text when Simon came to Jesus and said, hey, everybody's looking for you. Jesus was quick to redirect Simon and the disciples back to his mission, which is exactly what we must do in our lives. Stay on mission. So now that we understand Jesus's purpose and his mission, it's time that we understand ours. You ready? Who's ready to understand our purpose and our mission? Just a few of you, huh? Just a few of you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So what's our purpose? Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 gives us the answer. And by the way, the Bible has all the answers you'll ever need. You just got to search them out. Here it is. This is what God says. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I made them for my glory. It was I who created them. I have made them for my glory. Our purpose is to simply glorify God. That's our purpose. God made us so that we would bring glory to him. You see, too many people are seeking a very specific purpose that centers around themselves and what would fulfill or satisfy themselves. We weren't made to live and satisfy ourselves. We were made to live and satisfy God. We were not made for our glory. The reality is we were made for his glory. We were made to glorify God. That is our purpose. And we will never be more fulfilled or more satisfied than when we are fulfilling the very purpose for which we were created. Now, there are many ways we can glorify God, and I can't possibly cover them all in the time we have remaining. But let me just cover the primary way on how we can glorify God. Remember, purpose answers the why, mission answers the how. Our purpose is to glorify God. Now, what's our mission? What's our mission? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. These verses that we're about to read together reveal our primary mission here on this earth. Here it is. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Remember the trust his authority last week, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right after Jesus clearly says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, he then gives a command that is often referred to as the Great Commission. We are here on this earth to glorify God. That is our purpose. And we now know that to accomplish that, to accomplish our purpose, gives our mission. And so our mission as a church and as Christ followers is to do exactly what Jesus commands us to do here. And what's so cool about this is it's not a mission that we have to accomplish on our own. It's a co-mission. It's a co-mission, meaning we're not alone in this mission. Watch this. Jesus said in the very last part of verse 20, he said, I am with you always. If we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we have him with us always. His Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And Scripture records the Holy Spirit as our helper. So he is our helper in carrying out the Great Commission, or as I would prefer to call it, the Great Co-Mission. Because we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit when we execute this mission. So let's quickly jump into what Jesus meant 
when he gave this command. He said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make converts. He didn't say go and make churchgoers. He said, go and make disciples. Now, a disciple is a student, a learner, and a follower. You see, followers of Jesus were called disciples way before they were ever called Christians. So a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, meaning a disciple patterns his life after Jesus. And we talked all about what it means to be a follower of Jesus just two weeks ago. So how do we make disciples? Jesus tells us how right here in verses 19 through 20. He tells us exactly how. He says, we are to go and make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey all of Jesus' commands. Baptism is another subject that we just taught on recently. So I won't cover that again today. But notice that Jesus didn't say we are to go teach them so they know his commands or so they can recite his commands or so they can take those commands and hang them on the wall and admire him, did he? No, he said we are to teach them so that they will obey those commands. Oh, man, you can't get away from obedience, can you? It just keeps coming back. There's no way as a follower of Jesus we can ever escape obedience. It's just not possible. If you love him, you will obey him. Period. That's what his word says. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. And the second command is just as important, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. You see, all of God's commands are summed up in loving God and loving people. It's our responsibility to teach others to obey these things. This is all part of the discipleship process. So what I have on the screen here kind of shows you what it, how it all starts. So it starts with someone who is spiritually dead. They don't have the Lord in their life. They're spiritually dead. They must be born again. You cannot cross over from this side to the other side without being born again. And so when you're born again, Jesus becomes your bridge so that you can get to the other side. And now you're a spiritual infant. Think about infants. Though they need a lot of guidance, don't they? They need to be taught right from wrong. That's what happens here as a spiritual infant. Then you become a spiritual child. And as a child, what are we? We're usually pretty selfish, aren't we? We're usually inward focused. Then you graduate from being a child and now you become a young adult. And that focus from you now turns to the kingdom. You now have a kingdom mindset. That is a young adult spiritually. Then you move into a spiritual parent who is someone who actually makes disciples. And then from there, you become a spiritual grandparent where now you're helping people make other disciples. You're teaching them how to make other disciples. You see, that's the process. Now, you and I don't always have the luxury of seeing somebody go from being spiritually dead all the way to here, do we? We don't all get that opportunity. But every one of us has a part in this process. It could be that our job is just to plant the seeds. And it's someone else's job to come alongside and water those seeds. Others may be there to help someone make the decision to follow Jesus. You may be there to pray and help them make that decision. Others then may come along and teach what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus. And then still others might come along. And now that that person has become a disciple, they teach them how to start making other disciples. We all have a role to play in the Great Commission. This is why our church has such a passion and a focus for making disciples. Because the great co-mission is the mission of the body of Christ. I should hear a lot more amens. (laughs) (laughs) 
That is the mission of the body of Christ. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what denomination they are. If they are a Christ-following church, if they fear the Lord, this is the mission of the body of Christ right here. Amen. The church is called to do this. We are to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples for Jesus. And no matter what's going on in the world around us, we must stay on mission. Today from our text in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 38, we learn some very important lessons that will help us all to live out what Jesus calls us to do. First, we're to make sure that we take Jesus home with us. We don't leave him at the church. So when you go home today, make sure you take him with you, okay? Second, we need to serve. That was Peter's mother-in-law's first reaction to being healed by Jesus. So she got up and immediately started serving. Third, no matter what's going on in our our lives, we have got to stop and pray. Prayer was a priority for Jesus, and it should be for us too. Last, we are reminded that we must stay on mission. There are so many things that can easily get us distracted. But we all have a mission to accomplish. And Jesus didn't leave us to accomplish it alone. It's a co-mission where we cooperate with his Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. We all must stay on mission. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are a mighty God. Worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Holy, holy, holy is your name. I pray right now, Father, for a move of God. I don't know what people are at or what's going on in their minds right now, but you do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move. That you would move in all of our hearts and our minds. And what we heard today, Father, where there needs to be conviction, Father, I pray that you'd show us, search us and know our hearts. I pray today if there's someone here that maybe has never made the commitment to be born again. And I pray that you would draw them to you. Your word says that no man can come unto the Father except the Spirit who draws them. So today, Lord, I pray if that person or persons are here and they don't know you, but they're feeling that now, I pray that you'd help them in making that decision. Others are here and perhaps they recognize that their priorities haven't been aligned with your priorities because we're here to glorify you. That's our purpose. And I pray, Jesus, that you'd help us to recognize that You'd help us to come out from the world of being distracted by all that's around us and be about your business. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Sometimes it hurts, but it's the truth nonetheless. And so I pray, Jesus, that you'd encourage us to be your hands and feet and serve all those who are around us as you gave us such a perfect example to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So every week I always end and ask, if there's someone who needs prayer, you're welcome to come forward. And I usually have very few takers. And that's okay, because it's not my responsibility to get you to leave your seat. All of this happens because of the Holy Spirit. I just simply want to make that, again, I want to make that available to you. If you need prayer, there are people who will pray with you. Okay, we are a family of God. Like, we should be praying for each other, just like Jesus washed feet. Man, you and I ought to be all up in other people's business, helping them and encouraging them (laughs) to walk out their faith. And some of us have got to take that wall down that we're just, we're so good at coming in here and we just, oh, everything's fine. How are you doing today? It's great. And meanwhile, inside you're crumbling because you need hope. You need help. You need encouragement. That's what we're here for. 
So I want to encourage you as we end today, if you need prayer, I'm going to make the same call I make every week. You are welcome to come forward. I'll be here. There'll be others that can come up that we can pray with you no matter what's going on in your lives. Remember, the word of God says, right, for you to be healed, it's confessing our sins to one another. If you want to be forgiven of that and be cleansed, that's when we confess it to our Father in heaven. But you got to do both of those. Okay, that's really important. And that's what we're here for is to lock arms together and walk out our faith together. That's what families do. Okay, so I love you guys. If you need prayer, come forward. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great week.